So um, I just I'll just keep declaring this. It's important to say it when you say something. You declare something, and um, I'm going to have Kobe come up in a second. But when I saw in the spirit this potential of us gathering and what would happen if the gifts, if everyone was just released in their gift. It was funny when I had that just picture, it, <laughs> I don't like chaos. I'll avoid that, keep that suppressed as much as I can, but that's what I saw. A real move, the spirit will bring some chaos. It will bring some out of order, like everything, you know, is... And so um, I'm telling you, someone gets healed sovereignly in the midst of worship or anything that's going on, there'll be some chaos. Um, we have the need. We might as well get the solution, huh? We might as well get the touches from the Lord because we have the need all across the room. We have the need. So, um, Kobe, would you come up and share with us and just take your time, anything that is good? Hi, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for having me again. I appreciate it. And uh, when I came here this morning, Pastor Rick said that I can have as much as I long. So <laughs> I might be here a while. Okay, excellent. Um, so Bruce asked if I wanted to share about what's going on in Israel right now. And uh, I thought it would be a great idea, specifically because I think it is so important to tell the unbiased truth. As hurtful as it is, and as painful as it is, and as inconvenient as it is. And I think that's, I'll tie it later on into a struggle that I think us as Christians in our modern society are, are going through right now, and how talking and saying the truth is something that's difficult, because the truth is something that is not well received in a lot of our circles. Um, and I thought I would talk about what's happening right now in Israel, specifically in the conflict with Gaza, and I thought we'd also take a bit of an overview and kind of see what's going on in the region, and then talk a little bit about the history so we can understand what this conflict, what part is it playing in the greater perspective between Israel and the Palestinians and the Arab world. And um, then we're going to even take an, an even bigger overview and take a look at the historical aspect of this conflict. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm, I'm sure most of you know that on October 7th, about 44 days ago, the Palestinians in Gaza surprised attacked Israel at dawn on the 7th of October, um, and they sent 3,000 of their terrorists to storm the Israeli borders. Uh, most of them, most of these terrorists belong to a terrorist organization called Hamas, and a good portion of them also belong to another terrorist organization called Islamic Jihad. And these two organizations have dozens of either 
smaller satellite organizations that belong to them and have the same view, and they participated in, in that attack. Now, that day of the attack, the 7th of October, is a very special day to them and to us. It's special to them because exactly 50 years ago to the day, the Egyptian army in 1973 and the Syrian army on the same day, 1973, October 7th, they surprised attack Israel on Yom Kippur, which is the holiday known as the Day of Atonement. That's when the entire country mourns and repents for their sin. And so it's a day of fasting and it's a day of praying in the synagogues. And the Egyptians and the Syrians knew 50 years ago that the Israeli army is on leave because everybody is fasting and everybody's at the synagogues and that's when they surprised attacked Israel. That was 50 years ago, so that day was symbolic to the Palestinians. On October 7th, it wasn't the Day of Atonement in 2023 because the Jewish calendar is a bit different than, um, than our calendar. It was actually, it fell on a different holiday and it fell on a holiday, I forgot the name of the holiday in English, but it fell on a holiday that is called Simchat Torah, which means rejoicing for the Torah. And what that holiday basically is, it's a holiday that celebrates the Torah, the Bible that was given to us by God. And once again on that holiday, the Jewish nation, the traditional and even the secular and the religious, they all go to the synagogue to celebrate the Torah that was given by God. Um, and Israel on that day, 44 days ago, was caught with its pants down. It was, the attack was unfathomed that it would happen to Israel. And the reason they didn't fathom it is because they thought that Hamas, that controls Gaza, was content they thought that Hamas was happy. And they couldn't perceive a situation where Hamas would risk their control of Gaza and attack Israel. And the reason they didn't conceive it is because they thought that if they just, the Israeli government, that if they just appeased this terrorist organization that now controls the Gaza Strip, if they just appeased it, and gave it what it wanted, it would have no justification to attack Israel. Back in 2005, Israel, to our everlasting shame, ethnically cleansed the Gaza Strip, not of Palestinians, of Jews. And it forcibly removed every Jew and every Jewish town in the Gaza Strip. And they took five Israeli towns and raised them. And they thought if we just left the Gaza Strip, perhaps the Palestinians would leave us alone. And clearly that didn't happen. That was back in 2005. And we gave the Gaza Strip to the Palestinian Authority, which is the PLO. The PLO 
that very next year went to free elections. For the first time in the Palestinian territories, there were free elections in 2006. And the Palestinians, in all their wisdom, elected Hamas to control them, to be their government. And as soon as Hamas took control, they immediately rounded up the Palestinian Authority. They jailed them and they threw, threw them off the rooftops. And they, once they got that control, they held on to it. And never again has there been since then, since 2006, been free elections in the Palestinian territories. Um, and that's a little bit of the background. Israel completely removed itself from the Gaza Strip. Israel allowed the Palestinian Authority to build an airport in Gaza, to have free commerce. They share a border with Israel and they share a border with Egypt. But once the Palestinians lost, the Palestinian Authority lost the election to Hamas, we now had a situation where a terrorist organization controls the entire Gaza Strip. And that terrorist organization actively fights Israel. And Israel said something very simple, there's no way we can allow a terrorist organization to have free outlet in and out of the world because what they've done with it is arm themselves very simply. And so what Israel has said is that going forward, we will not allow you to have a harbor, which they started building one, and we won't allow you to have an airport, which they already had. Every single piece of, of, uh, of goods that comes in and out of the Gaza Strip either goes through Israel or goes through Egypt. So we can monitor what comes in and out of the Gaza Strip. That philosophy completely crashed on October 7th. On that day, there were only two battalions protecting Israel along the border with Gaza. It's about 600 soldiers. That's it. And those two battalions were completely overwhelmed with that invasion on the 7th of October. And when I say completely overwhelmed, within 15 minutes, they ran through the lines. They killed almost every single soldier that was in every single one of the outposts. And their goal was not to kill the soldiers. The soldiers were simply in the way. What the Palestinians did is they immediately flooded into the Israeli towns and kibbutzes that are around the Gaza Strip. And on that day, and I'm sorry if it's a little harsh, but I'm going to be a little harsh just so you know really what happened there on October 7th. Those 3,000 Hamas terrorists, and later on during the day with thousands more of just regular Palestinian civilians that once they heard the Israeli army is no longer on the border, they started flooding the border as well. But those 3,000 terrorists went into every single one of the 17 Israeli towns that are on the border, and they systematically eliminated as many Jews as they could on that morning. The Israeli army was so overwhelmed, all of its units have effectively been eliminated, and the nearest other units were hours away drive time from the Gaza Strip. The 3,000 Palestinian terrorists, they went into every single kibbutz and town, and 
they murdered on that day close to 1,500 Israelis, and they injured another 5,500 Israelis. It was acts of a, it was a thousand acts of murder happening just one after another. They simply went door to door and they killed every man, every woman, and every child they saw. And the stories that are coming out and the stories that we all watched live because they were, the Palestinians were broadcasting it live. They wanted the world to see. They wanted the world to see the rape and the murder and the brutalization that was happening. I was watching it all live on the Palestinian channels on Telegram. And the acts were so vile. They were beheading children in front of their parents. They were beheading parents in front of their children. In one house, they found a baby in the oven and the two parents murdered right next to it. And they captured them. The terrorists that did that were captured. And they said that they burnt the baby and kept the parents alive long enough to see it. These acts, I go back to what God says about Ishmael. If you remember the story of Abraham, Abraham had two sons, the illegitimate son, which was Ishmael, and the legitimate son, which was Isaac. And God said to Ishmael, amongst other things, that he will multiply him as the stars in the sky and as the sand in the ocean. But he also said that Ishmael will be like a beast of a man. And he didn't say that it will be, Ishmael will be like a man that acts like a beast. The description here is that Ishmael will be as a beast that acts like a man. And what we saw on that day was truly a beast coming out. The violence was so insane that later when their bodies were recovered, the Palestinian bodies were recovered, they saw notes with instructions by the Hamas leadership of what to do on that day. And they were specifically told and ordered, you are to kill as many Jews, as many children, and to rape as many women. And there's many, many testimonies of all the rape that happened on that day. And that's because in the Arab world, their perspective is that rape is the ultimate humiliation. Very often in the Arab world, a woman that is raped is unworthy of a family because she has defiled the family honor. Not the person that raped her. The person that got raped is not worthy of life. They raped men too because in their eyes, a man that is raped is not worthy of honor or life. And that perspective is so different from ours in the West. And when I say the West, I mean cultures that share the Judeo-Christian faith and religion. 
in our eyes, forgiveness and redemption are an ultimate sign of strength. In the Arab world, in the Middle East, and in the Muslim world, forgiveness and redemption are a sign of weakness. It's when you show forgiveness and redemption, it is a sign to them that you are now weak and you can be a target. And this is a clash of two civilizations that have no shared perspective on life. Two hours after the invasion started, to the Biden administration's credit, they realized that the state of Israel has been knocked off balance. There's no other country in the Western world that can sustain an invasion. Israel is an extremely narrow country. It's just 20 miles wide. That's it. 20 miles, it's a 30-minute drive from east to west. That's all it is. And immediately the Biden administration ordered its battle carriers, battle group, to turn around, head back to the Middle East because the Biden administration realized there is something going on here that it has enormous influence on the United States' interests in the Middle East. Now, Hamas is a terrorist organization that has, we estimate, between 30 to 40,000 fighters. And they're in the southern border of Israel. In the northern border of Israel, with Lebanon, there's another terrorist organization there, and that terrorist organization is called Hezbollah, the Army of God. That's what the translation is. And this terrorist organization is actually bigger than most modern armies. It's actually even better armed than most modern armies. It's 100,000 strong. It has an arsenal of over 150,000 rockets. There's, most modern armies don't have that kind of arsenal, and that entire arsenal is pointed at Israel. When I woke up that morning, I opened my WhatsApp, and I think I saw like a hundred and some messages from my family, and a ton of missed calls, and I was like, oh, something is going on, and I opened WhatsApp first, before I opened the news, I usually open the news first, but I opened WhatsApp, and I kept on seeing the family chat give stories. Of, they're telling, they're talking about the terrorist attacks that are going on. And I'm like, I must have, because on WhatsApp, if you accidentally click it to the right, it will send you up months in the conversation. And I was like, this is, I probably clicked on something, and it went to one of the prior rounds that we've had in the Gaza. And I keep on scrolling down, and I'm this chat is never ending. And I finally, I pressed on the down arrow and it takes you all the way to the bottom. And I said to myself, my God, they're talking about a terrorist attack that's happening right now. And I immediately started, first went to the news and I saw, yes, there's terrorist attacks and they're talking about 
terrorists inside Israel that made it into Israel. And we, uh, we all thought that's, that's insane because Israel spent a billion and a half dollars building a fence to protect itself from Gaza. How could they come across a fence that cost a billion and a half dollars and has, that's manned and has remote control guns on it? And then I immediately went to the Palestinian channels. And on the Israeli news, they were saying so far they confirmed 20 dead. And this is a few hours after the invasion started. And I'm looking at the Palestinian channels and I see a never-ending list of videos that shows the, whole, the, whole, the wholesale slaughter of Jews. And I'm seeing them go house to house, live, real-time killing dozens and dozens of Jews. And I'm telling myself, and I texted my family, guys, this is not 20 dead. This is, we're talking about over a thousand people dead. And unfortunately, that was confirmed. The Israeli army finally got its bearings together and sent special forces to start cleaning out the areas. The Palestinian, at that point, they made it about seven miles inwards into Israel, and they took all the Israeli towns that surround the Gaza Strip. They managed to kidnap 240 Israelis, 30 of them are little children, into the Gaza Strip. A few days ago, it came up to 241 because one of the moms gave birth while she was in captivity. And that day, the, the, I guess the pressure got to me, and I just started weeping. With every video that I saw, I started crying, and my family were telling me how much they're all crying too, and we lost contact with some of our friends that live, because my whole family is from that area. We just live 20 miles from the Gaza Strip. Um, the terrorists actually made it all the way to Ashdod, which is the city that we live close to, and we couldn't believe it. That's where the bakery is. Yeah, my, my family owns a bakery and a coffee shop. And they made it all the way over there. And we couldn't get a hold of my youth pastor. Later, after a few days, we got a hold of him, and he told us that he lives right there, and he lost five of his friends. His kids lost their friends from high school. They were all butchered. And there was one verse that just kept on coming back to me because now we were starting to find out, okay, how many captives there are, how many murdered there are, who, who are these people? There were two towns down there on the, in Israel that lost 80% of the people that live in that town were either kidnapped, murdered, or injured. 80%. That is unfathomable. Um, and there was one verse that came. I texted my family, and it says, it's in Isaiah 61. We all know it. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our Lord, to comfort all who mourn, to counsel those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, 
the garment of praise for the spirit of heavens, for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And that gave me so much comfort and peace. Of course, that is the scripture that Jesus used to start his ministry. If you remember, you said that at, at the synagogue. And at that time, Israel was also in a state of war. They were being occupied by a Roman army that brutalized Israel. This was 2,000 years ago. So when Jesus says these words to comfort all who mourn, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, he was talking about the same situation. We, we're not that aware today as, as a Christian society, I don't think, to what was happening in Israel 2,000 years ago. One of the reasons the Jews reacted so negatively to Jesus when he preached forgiveness was because they were being brutally oppressed by the Romans. The Romans were an occupying force. Just to give you an example, about 20 years before Jesus was born, there was another rebellion up north in the Galilee. That's why, by the way, we see in the, in the New Testament that they're referring to the people that are coming from Galilee as rebellious. It's because they really were rebellious. They rebelled against the Romans, and the Romans killed that rebellion very heavy-handedly. And what the Romans did was they lined the road from Jerusalem to Galilee with 20,000 crosses, and 20,000 Jews were executed and hung on those crosses. Just to give you an example of the brutality of things. So when Jesus came and said that he wanted to give comfort to all who mourn, that was truly his purpose because the people of Israel at the time were mourning very, very heavily. What happened in Israel since was that it took the Israeli military a whole week to clean up Israel from all the terrorists that have taken a stronghold in Israel. Of course, the first couple of days, it was very heavy fighting from one house to another in every one of those towns to clear out the terrorists. In Kibbutz Beri, there were 50 hostages that were in the cafeteria being held by the terrorists, and it took the Israeli army a long time to free those hostages. If you remember, or if you heard about um, a music festival that happened on that morning, there were 4,400 Israeli teens and young adults in that music festival. The Palestinians knew of it. They planned on arriving them, and they swarmed with gliders from the air, and later on with dirt bikes and, um, and pickup trucks and they slaughtered 235 Israeli 
young adults there in that festival. It took Israel about a week to clear off all the Israeli parts that were captured by the Palestinians and another couple of weeks to prepare its army. On day one, there were 550,000 Israeli reservist soldiers that showed up without being called. They all got their uniform and they went to their designated bases to get ready for war. The Israeli prime minister immediately declared war and said we are in the state of war. And since then, the Israeli army has, I'm sure you've seen in the news, bombed every single stronghold of Gaza, in, of Hamas in Gaza. Hamas has been preparing for this fight for many years, about 15 years they've been preparing for this fight. And Israel has made a decision, we're going to give Gaza a root canal and extract every single Hamas terrorist from Gaza. Now the difference between the Israeli soldiers and the Hamas terrorists is that the Israeli soldiers are there to protect their civilians and the Hamas civilians are there to protect their soldiers. That is the difference. Every single Hamas outpost and bunker and headquarter is all built in or under civilian populations because they know that the military that they're fighting against values life, even the life of its enemies, more than victory. That's the truth. And the Israeli army does everything they can to prevent the hurt of innocence. But it's a war, and innocent people die. And innocent people get hurt, especially when those people are used as human shields by their own population because it's a victory to them when their population dies and the West has an outcry condemning Israel for hurting the population. And it's a filthy way to wage a war. And a little while ago, about seven years ago, one of my employees at work, he asked me very sheepishly, why do people always hate you Jews? <laughs> he wasn't very politically correct uh, in the way that he asked it. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, throughout history, everybody has always hated you. And I said, you're right. There's no, there's no denying it. And I started thinking to myself, just yesterday in Wisconsin, there was a neo-Nazi march. And there's neo-Nazis everywhere in the West, the very far extreme right that hates the Jews. And coincidentally, it's the one thing that they have in common with the very far extreme left, that they also hate the Jews. We can see it in protests right now all over the Western world, massive protests 
where sure there's a lot of Muslim and Arab immigrants in the West, but there's also what I call the useful idiots that go and march with them and they chant their chants. And there's two common chants that you always see and always hear. The first is, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And they're obviously talking about the river of Jordan, the Jordan River, and the Mediterranean Sea. And that's the entire country of Israel. And they chant for it to be free, meaning to ethnically cleanse all the Jews out of Israel. That's the purpose behind it. And it's such ignorance on their end to chant such a thing. And the second chant that you always see in these marches, it's an Arabic chant that says, Jews, remember the city of Haibar. Allah's army or Muhammad's army will return. And you always see it. And it's Arabic, so they don't know what the heck they're saying, meaning people in the West. But what it means is, in the 7th century, there was a Jewish town in Saudi Arabia that was called Haibar. And this Jewish town rejected Muhammad as a prophet of God. And what Muhammad has done is he went and he annihilated every single Jew in that town. And since then, since, since then, it's, we're talking about 1,500, 1,400 years. They still remember it. They still chant, you Jews remember Haibar. Muhammad's army will return. And I think back to what my employee asked me, why do they hate you? And I think before that, I think about the Holocaust with, the, with Nazi Germany. And I think about the pogroms in Russia in the 18th century. And I think about the Spanish Inquisitions in the 14th century. And before that, I think about the Arab cleansing, cleansing of Jews out of Israel in the 16th century. And I think before that about the Romans attack on Israel. And I think before that about the Egyptians. And I think about the Babylonians. <laughs> the list never ends. And the Adamites. And I think about the Amalekites. And there's a never-ending list of nations and people that wanted to annihilate the Jewish people. Not only hate, but completely annihilate a group of people. And I think we can all agree that there is nothing in common between the Amalekites from 4,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago and people in Wisconsin from yesterday marching in the streets to rid the world of Jews. There's, what do these people have in common? Nothing. But actually, they do have something in common. In Exodus 19, it says... And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, 
You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Then you shall be a special treasure to me. And this is a hint. This is very important to us. God says to the people of Israel, you will be a treasure to me. And I started thinking, and actually let me finish the verse. It says, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And I started thinking, wait a second. Could it be that the continuous attempts to annihilate a group of people actually has nothing to do with that group of people? In Genesis it says, and this is God telling Isaac. It's very important. He's telling this to Isaac, not Abraham. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven, and I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And once again, we see that first God says that he gave an oath, and the second thing he says is that he treasures these people. And I think to myself, what is the one thing the enemy of God has to do to show that God has no power. It's to break his oath. That's it. When we treasure something, we will do anything we can to keep it from being hurt. And anybody that's our enemy will do everything they can to hurt it. And what we're seeing is absolutely, without a doubt in my mind, a spiritual battle. This is, in some aspects, yes, it's a battle over land. In other aspects, it's a battle over culture. But, without a doubt, this is a spiritual battle. It is a fight to destroy God's covenant that's it and when I think about it a little further I realize that there are three things that God treasures and all of these laws in the Old Testament and all of everything that Jesus spoke about they had to do with three areas that we Jesus and the Old Testament continuously orbits around the first is the relationship between man and God. The second is the relationship between man and family. 
And the third is the relationship between man and its nation. And God gave very strict rules about each of those topics. God treasures them because he knows for us to live a healthy life, there is a certain lifestyle that we have to keep. And when I think about all the attacks that we encounter today as Christians, every one of them is meant to derail the relationship between man and God, the relationship between man and his family, and the relationship between man and his nation. There is a reason why there is such a push in our modern culture today to sexually liberate every person, from children to confused adults. There's a reason why there is such an effort to diminish the role of fatherhood. There is a reason why there is such an effort to create tension within a nation, to make its youth despise its holidays, its religion, its culture. God's enemy knows that if they can break the bond between God and man, they can make God null in that man's life. And that's why they go over, fight over every aspect that there is between a man and its God and a man and his family, and a man and his nation. In, I'll go back to Isaiah. If I can find it again. There we go. And in the very next chapter, Isaiah 62... I think it has a lot to do with how we need to carry ourselves as Christians. I think that God is calling us to be truthful no matter who gets offended because the truth is more important than people's feelings. And in Isaiah 62, it says, For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the, of the Lord will name. You should also be crowned of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal cloth in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. 
And it says, and I love this, but you shall be called Haftziba. And I'm sure it says it, it's a Hebrew word. And they should have translated it. I don't know why they, they probably because it's a Hebrew word that's now a name. So that's probably why they said it as it is. But what does Haftziba mean? And what it means is, I desired her. That's what it means. And God is telling the people of Israel that he desires the people of Israel. And while we were worshiping, I was looking up, and I don't know if you did this on purpose, but this is exactly what a chuppah looks like in a Jewish wedding. There is always a veil on top of the bride and groom when they get married, and it looks exactly like a chuppah. And God is telling us that he desires us. And for the Christians, and I'll bring it back to this verse, chapter 62 in Isaiah, for the Christians that are afraid to be truthful, not only on the matter of Israel, but in all aspects of our lives, you should see and remind yourselves of how outspoken God is. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. And I think this idea can be applied in our lives in every aspect that we see lies creep in and try to destroy our nations and our families, lives and faith and culture and customs and traditions. We cannot be restful and we cannot hold our peace. We don't know what's going to happen in the Middle East. Since it happened 44 days ago, Israel invaded a very small portion of the Gaza Strip. It has ordered all the civilians to leave northern Gaza and to go south. And it only invaded about 10% of the entire Gaza Strip. So everything you're seeing, this is just the beginning. We're looking at months and months more of war. We're nowhere. It Actually, the war hasn't even really started because Israel has still not invaded the inner parts of the Gaza city, the truly the urban areas. So the war is going to get a lot harder. Um, during this time, the United States has been attacked over 50 times in American military bases all around the Middle East, in Syria and in Iraq. Just this morning, the Houthis in Yemen have taken a commerce ship. They thought it was Israeli. It wasn't, but now they hold captive 22 Japanese people. That ship that came from Turkey to Japan, they took control of it. And we're seeing the entire Middle East start to shift and tremble. There's something big going on. And I think that we need to pray for all the innocents, the Israelis, the Arabs, Palestinians. Of course, it's, it's a war, and a lot of destruction is going to happen. But 
we should remember everybody that's innocent because they're not all they're not all bad and that's certainly not the perspective of anybody in Israel the government so we need to pray for them and we need to pray for the world because this is for the United States a watershed moment a lot of people are wondering why the United States is so outspoken about supporting Israel. Because the United States has sent Israel military arms. They approved a bill of, I think, $14 billion over the next year to be given to Israel to aid it with its war. And the United States has protected Israel in the UN after countless attempts to condemn Israel and to put sanctions on Israel. And why, why is this so important to the United States? Because the United States has never done that in the past. The reason is the United States realizes that on a global scale, there's a lot of bad actors, such as Iran and Russia and China that are waiting to seize the opportunity that the United States shows weakness. And there's a lot of countries that are just hanging on the line. They're waiting to see how, what's going to happen. Countries that are important to the United States, such as Qatar and Saudi Arabia. Countries such as um, Taiwan and India. And a lot of countries are just waiting on the sideline to see whether the Eastern Bloc will gain a bunch of strength or the United States will retain its dominance. And that, that's one of the reasons why the United States is so overly for Israel and is so supportive of Israel. It's because it knows everybody's waiting to see how the United States supports its allies. So I think we should also pray for the United States and for our leaders in America to make the right decisions on how they display their power and how they use their power. And the world has seen 75 years of blissful peace, peace that has never seen in the world before, and that's all because of the United States projecting its power and allowing the world to live in peace. That's it. And I really hope we will have another 75 years of it. And I'll ask you for one more request. My brother and my brother-in-law have been now in the military for over a month. In Israel, every man and woman serve in the military. They all get drafted, the men for a little under three years and the women for about a year and a half. And when they turn 18, and then until the age of 45, they all serve in reserves. They all go back to the army for two weeks out of the year with their reserve units. And so both my brother and my brother-in-law were called in to go to their reserve units, and they've been there now for about a month. And my brother-in-law is in Jerusalem in one of the checkpoints, and my brother is on the border with Lebanon, and he is on an outpost in on the border of Lebanon that gets bombed and shelled daily. Um, so I'm very concerned about him. From his unit, because of the daily bombardments that they've had now for a whole month, 
One soldier died, three more got injured, and 17 had to go get psychiatric care because they were, they were shell-shocked. Um, so please keep my brother and my brother-in-law in your prayers. My family is safe, thank God. Every time the sirens go off, they have 30 seconds to run to the bomb shelters, and they still do that on a daily basis. Almost every day, the sirens go off, and they have to run to the bomb shelters. They had some close, close calls where the rockets fell in their vicinity, but thank God nobody is injured and nobody's hurt, and please pray for them as well. But uh, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to speak and share that with everybody. Let's just take a few minutes to pray. Um, it, it, it's so sovereign that uh, we have this connection uh, through Bruce and Mary that Kobe would be here and um, be with us. And um, he was deathly ill with uh, COVID uh, that really hit him hard. So we're just grateful you made it through that. I remember hearing your name so often as we were praying for you. So uh, you don't know who you're praying for ever. And all of a sudden, that person's in your life. So I love this. It's an honor to have him in our house. Um, it, it's a gold coin. So, somebody gave me a, a coin that looks, I don't think it's real gold. Well, he wouldn't have given it to me, but yeah. But um, it having being able to honor a, tr a Jewish person, it's a gold coin. What the Lord's like, it matters. It really matters. We, we need to know that. It matters. And it's not about them being better. It's just about them being who they are. <laughs> that God sovereignly chose them as a nation, these people as a nation. And uh, so <clears throat> let's pray. Let's pray some prayers. Father, in Jesus' name, we just thank you so much for Kobe, for his family, for all that he's doing, Lord. This stand, this awareness, uh, this perspective that he has, I thank you so much for it. Thank you for his, his, the boldness in his heart. And Father, we, we confess as Americans, we have been so psyoped, we're so careful about what we think and what we say, and uh, we've been affected by this more than we want to admit. But we can admit it because, Jesus, you love truth. And we get so self-conscious of what we believe and what we say that we're hesitant all the time. But Lord Jesus, you, as Kobe quoted this scripture out of Isaiah, you will not be silent. And Father, make us courageous. It's my heart cry through my life that I will be courageous, that I will especially be courageous at the right moment and the right times in my life. So Father, we, we ask that you will protect all of his family. While we ask that you will continue to protect Israel, we know that so many things do hang in the balance right now 
we have no concept of how big this is and, and watching and seeing the movement and, and being able to identify that we are people that value life and not everybody lives that way. We value life. You, Lord Jesus, you value life. I thank you so much for what you called us into. For the Father that you are, for what you call us to and what you call us to, it is life. It is blessing. It, it is good. You love us. You're a good God. You're not a hateful, vengeful, evil God. That we live our lives to bring and reproduce more life, not to destroy life. So, Father, we ask for your grace to be over every military person, for every, uh, every outpost, the leaders of Israel, Father. The pressure that they're under, the pressure they have been under, even the division that's been in Israel, we ask that you will heal it, bring them together as a nation, that they can have one heart, one mind. And Father, most of all, that you will continue to reveal yourself to them. Only you can do that. No one can convince them that Jesus, you are real. No one can prove that to them. But Lord Jesus, you can sovereignly touch their hearts that you can appear to them. You can show yourself, reveal yourself as the one true God, as the King, as the Messiah. So Father, we continue to just thank you for all that you've given us, what you're calling us to, and cause us to be bold and cause us to stand, give us strength to stand with these people, with Israel, with this nation. And may our own nation continue to be strong and of one mind and of one cord. And we just thank you for all that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. Yes, we do. Thank you. For Aiden and for victories and for our, our church and for our praise and uh, for new life. It just uh, goes on and on for testimony. I'm just so grateful this morning. <clears throat> We've been in this attitude of gratitude and uh, it's especially coming upon us now as it's uh, coming uh, to be Thanksgiving. And we have this national holiday that we celebrate. And it's a thing, and, and we do that once a year. But actually, Thanksgiving is a verb, it's an action, and it's something that we can do continuously. Yes. And if we do it continuously and we praise continuously, then we're in communion with the Lord. Communion also is something we celebrate it once a week. But if we do these things, we can be in continuous communion with the Lord. And it's so good to be in this active place with him and, and not just a thing that we celebrate once a week or once a month or whatever. The scripture that we talk about at communion, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And, and remembrance is another action, and our brain should actively recall the things that we give thanks for and Jesus' attributes. So 
So we, we give thanks for his mercy and for his goodness and kindness, uh, for his love over us, for his sacrifice. For all these things are his attributes. But he says, remember me. And, and collectively, all these things add up to him. And that's what I want us to remember this morning when we come to the communion table. It's just to be with him. It's so, it's so much deeper than all, all these things that we remember to actively just be one-on-one -on -one looking into his eyes. Charles Spurgeon said, the greatest thing about Christ is Christ himself. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and that's what I want. Come to the communion table this morning just for Christ himself. And these things we talked about um, that, we, that we need to choose life over. You know, in the song that they sang, uh, mercy triumphs over shame. So these things, this depression, shame, and guilt, they keep us from our communion with the Lord, from that continuous communion with Him. So we need to choose that life this morning. Lay these things down. Come to the communion table of thanks. The bottom line is that Jesus died to be with you. So when you're in communion, you are with him. That's all he wants this morning is to be with you, and all you should want is to be with him. Amen?